I'm Lisa Bryant. I'm Leanne Gibbs. And I'm Liam McNicholas. And this is the Early Education Show. A fortnightly look at the policy, politics and practice of Australia's early education sector. Six thousand children under five live in Mount Druitt in New South Wales. Thirty-three percent of those children are considered developmentally vulnerable when they start school. The Early Education Show has long been interested in the work of the Hive, an initiative started in 2015 by the 1020 Foundation, United Way Australia, and New South Wales Family and Community Services to ensure that all children in the 2770 postcode start school well. A few weeks ago, Lisa attended on behalf of the Early Education Show. Uh, the graduation ceremony of early childhood educators and teachers from a unique professional development opportunity established for educators in the Mount Druitt area by the Hive and Western Sydney University, Assistant Professor Christine Woodrow and Linda Newman, the Collaboration for Learning, or C4L, project. C4L is a capacity-building approach to pedagogical innovation in early childhood contexts in which each centre has designed and implemented their own research project to gather data on the effectiveness of their work and implement change for children and their learning in their service. The first piece of audio you're about to hear is Associate Professor Christine Woodrow talking about this unique project at the graduation ceremony. Um, I can't begin to tell you what an incredible pleasure it is to be here today for the second time. So it, it, it's that feeling of walking into the room, feeling the excitement of the people that have been working so hard since May of this year to implement something innovative, something interesting, and something that will benefit the children and families that they work with. So that little frisson, the moment you put your my step in the door to know that this is the day where we can really celebrate the amazing commitment of early years educators in particular and their uh, resilience, their ability to think so deeply and care so deeply about their children and families and um, their ability to be smart. So I'm so thrilled to be able to do this. In doing it, I also want to acknowledge the work of the Hive. I've been around the Hive since it first started talking about its strategic direction. And I can tell you that I was pretty excited when decisions were taken that it was to focus on, on their early years. Um, I didn't influence that. The decision emerged in a really interesting um, series of collaborations over a year or more, perhaps, but over that time, I've come to have a deep respect for the organisation um, and an even deeper respect for the work undertaken by the people that work for the organisation. Denny, Sarah, uh, Janie, Laura, uh, and as soon as you start naming people, you'll leave um, a, a whole lot of them out. Um, and so, Clayton, you should feel incredibly proud and pleased of the people that work in this community and work so collaboratively with such a range of organisations. They always work with diligence and respect. So thank you to um, all of the people that work so gorgeously here in the Hive. I've already given a big shout out to you, the participants. Graduates you are today. Isn't that a great feeling? 
But please note, we're not dressing you up in all of those um, hegemonic gowns and carrying <laughs> on ancient traditions. We are celebrating the reality of your lives and, and your work. Um, Linda and I have noticed over the months the ups and downs of your struggle to implement something pretty ambitious and your incredible resilience to come through the other side. Your computer crashes, your um, program, your staff leave, your programs fall apart through no fault of your own and you all pick up the pieces and keep on going. And what you, the audience, are going to see today, I hope will fill your heart with joy when you know that these educators are working so hard to deliver quality education to um, children and families in this community. You've got, you, the graduates, have grown in knowledge, confidence and skills as expert early, early educators. And we are looking forward next year to you contributing to growing that knowledge and skills across the whole um, postcode through a network that Sarah is going to tell you about a, a little bit later. But through the work that we've done in two rounds of collaboration for learning, we now want to take this forward into a network that brings um, educators across the postcode together to share their knowledge, to learn um, and to feel supported. There are some participants who for various reasons weren't able to complete the program and we hope there'll be another opportunity in the future for them to gain this important um, knowledge and skills. Um, I'd also like to acknowledge uh, the co-leader of the program. Uh, <coughs> Linda has um, contributed an amazing uh, amount to this work. Uh, she's been involved in other projects as well and thank her for her knowledge and insights about practitioner research and early childhood pedagogy and practice. And of course, because I've been increasing my frequent flyer miles recently, <laughs> Linda's also stepped into the breach and taken the biggest responsibility for supporting your presentations and research report writing. Um, my role is to introduce the um, Collaboration for Learning project, and I'm only going to do that in a couple of slides because actually Linda and I have had our turn of standing out the front, and it's actually your turn to be the ones to shine and to lead us through what has actually happened. Okay, so what is Collaboration for Learning? It is a bespoke professional learning project de developed for, a com for this community. It has been informed by other projects that both Linda and I and Leone have been involved in over a decade or more, including projects in Chile, um, Newcastle, um, Outer West, Inner West, Outer West. So um, we, this has been designed to respond to the particular circumstances uh, that, that we find here. The aims of the project are really to deepen and broaden the repertoire of pedagogies that respond to the particular circumstances of communities that are facing challenges that in many uh, cases are extraordinary. Um, we want to strengthen the quality of the learning interactions. International research is showing that the quality of the interactions between the adults and the children the children and the children, and the teachers, the educators, and the families are critical components of quality early years provision. 
Unfortunately, and, and perhaps our guest speaker is going to speak about this, but unfortunately in the current context, the incredibly complex work that early years educators undertake at the best of times, um, and triple so in more uh, complicated communities where people are struggling to uh, cope with systems that are hard to navigate, where um, economic uh, well-being is a challenge yet, yet to be achieved, um, is totally un underestimated. And so through this work, we hope that educators will be stronger in their articulation of the complexity of that work and provide compelling cases to those who make decisions around funding and allocation of resources, um, that these are deserving, important, highly significant um, social um, contributions, social and educational contributions. We know that children um, in many complex communities experience what might be called educational injustice. The day they work, walk in the school, into the school, for example, they are already disadvantaged by the systems, the structures, and the expectations. And it is not acceptable in a 21st century um, environment that we are in that those inequalities persist. Early education has been demonstrated to show that this is a major contributor to addressing those educational um, injustices. So, already, my time is probably passed. <laughs> I'm going to next now. Yep. Okay, so I just want to tell you what's in it. It's focused around this notion of practice and practitioner research. So educators as practitioners researching their own communities, gathering evidence. So instead of being the expert with the expert knowledge standing back, actually engaging and researching Communities. Communities being a big word, meaning uh, children's communities, the community of the Early Learning Centre, the community of, of families and outside people. Five literacy keys is stressing the importance of literacy as a key to, um, to learning and to participation, but understanding it in these different kinds of ways. Play-based learning, playing with familiar materials to develop a range of literacies, knowledge about how to engage and how to communicate. Intentional teaching, resonating with the EYLF, the Early Years Learning Framework, which is a mandated framework in the Australian context. Sustained shared thinking, okay, I'm not going to explain what it is, but it is about those quality interactions expanded, meaningful, significant. Funds of knowledge. In every community, there's knowledge that exists and resides and can be harnessed for children's learning. And the early childhood language literacy and environment scale. Why practitioner research? Because practitioners who research their own context become expert about their children, their families and their communities and they learn how to conduct research, how to gather evidence. Evidence is king. If you can produce evidence about the impact of what is happening, evidence about children's circumstances, you are going to be heard much more, much more likely to be heard than without it. And we are committed to educators developing their confidence to deeply know, to deeply know how children learn, the impact of their interaction 
with children and families and to deeply know the impact of their innovative pedagogies, becoming leaders and activists for children um, and their communities. So the structure of, of it, we have two conference days. Today is conference day two. The first one was at the beginning of the program. Seven leadership roundtables where people come together, share their evidence, learn new concepts, share perspectives, build networks, build friendships, build collaboration. Three workshop sessions, uh, which pretty well Linda took charge of, actually workshopping your projects according to the formats that we supplied or encouraged you to use, um, and uh, developing research reports and documenting your evidence and centre visits and support from the mentors. Over to you, Linda. And while Linda's coming, I just realised there's something else I want to say. The course has been accredited by NESA, so educators that need um, to develop their professional learning hours, uh, it, it has been recognised and four standards have been applied to it. Thank you, Linda. Are you using the digital? Yes, I am. Just a very few quick words from me, and I will just let you in on a little secret before I start. Chris got off the plane from Chile two nights ago, and I said to Sarah, we'll probably find her curled up in a cupboard somewhere today, but she's, she's firing, as usual. Uh, I just wanted to acknowledge and, and pass on a very big vote of thanks to our mentors, who three sitting over here and one who couldn't be here today. You might wonder why we're using the word mentora. That doesn't sound very familiar. It's actually a Spanish word. And so the process and the idea of the mentora or the mentor grew out of the project that, that Chris and Leonie and I were involved in for many years in Chile. So we thought to, to pass that on and in respect for the mentoras over there who did such a wonderful job, that we would use that word mentoras. These fabulous women have um, supported the, all of the projects, they visited centres, in Mel's case she's driven down from Newcastle and as part of our um, idea of keeping the, these projects sustainable and growing we came up with the idea, or Chris probably came up with the idea of um, um, cho choosing, inviting people who had worked in previous projects to become the mentors in the next project. And so, so Mel worked on a project in Newcastle with me and Joanne, who can't be here today from Blacktown Council, was in this project last year. So you can see how that allows for the growth and development of people as they move into that supportive role from doing the project themselves. So thank you very much. Stand up so everybody can see you. <laughs> The actual structure of the programs that we've worked through in the leadership roundtables. Chris men mentioned the Early Childhood Environment, Language, Literacy and Numeracy Scale. That's one of the foundations we've used for people to look more carefully at their actual physical and, and um, process environment, we say, in their early childhood centres. So it's about the furniture and the fittings, but it's also about the interactions between people and, pe and the, the centres have been able to use that to re-look at their environments in a structured way to find out what they would like to work on and improve in their projects. Their actual project ideas, what they're working on, their topics that you'll see when you visit the pre presentations later in the day, have come from them. 
So one of the strengths of the program is that everybody decides what it is that they would like to work on. We don't come in and say, you have to work on this aspect of mathematics or whatever it might be. They choose something that's important and meaningful to them in their local community. And that's really one of the strengths of the program and I think that all of the, all of the participants, the educators would agree with that. In terms of what they actually do, I was saying to Chris last night, we've both taught in um, masters-based research programs. It's really the equivalent of doing a master's subject. So they're working at a very high level when we ask them to um, come up with an idea, write a research plan. They actually go through the process of writing almost like you'd call a research proposal if you were applying for money and a grant. So they do these things that you can see here on the screen if you can read it. They have to write a research question, which sounds simple, but it's actually very complicated. It's one of the most complicated parts of the process to get a research question that you can work with and actually answer at the end. They develop aims. They have to look at the academic literature. What's been done before? What research has been done in this area? What have other researchers found out that will allow me to build on that in my own research? They have to come up with research methods, something that, that most people haven't really worked with or thought about before in many instances, unless they've studied at a postgraduate level. They collect their data, they look at their data. What does this mean? These things that we've observed and seen and collected checklists on and looked at scales, what does this mean? And then they say, what are we going to change? And so that's when they move into that process of, of saying, okay, now it's time to do, make an improvement, make a change in our centre. And again, they decide how to do that. So there's a lot of hard thinking goes on. There's a lot of hard work that goes on. So all credit goes to these centres who, who've stuck to this for seven months and worked through this process. And then they write up a report, which is the sort of report that you would submit if you had millions of dollars for a research project and they haven't had millions of dollars for a research project and today they're going to do a public presentation of that work and um, a few little birds out the back told me this morning and I'm sure there are more people in the room thinking this that it's the first time they've done a public presentation so there's a few jelly legs going on right now <laughs> and I know they'll be fabulous last year everybody was fabulous and I know they all will be because they've got fantastic projects as Chris said I've I've had the privilege of being able to look at them all um, before they go up today. So where do we go next? Um, next year, the Hive is focusing on developing a network. A bit of that has started happening this year. I've heard conversations about this, this year. Some of the things um, to be done are quite pragmatic. One of the things that came out of our conversations around getting this all happening today was that even though there's been financial support for the project, and people have had the access to money to be able to buy themselves, I suppose, time to come, to come to all of our leadership round tables. It's not that simple because they have to find someone to replace them. And there's a critical shortage of early childhood educators. And so sometimes they just haven't been able to find anyone. Someone needs to be there with the children. They can't just walk out. It's not like working in an office. And so there's all sorts of little challenges along the way and the network is going to work on some of those things. Um, we started this year developing a, a list of casual staff that people could call on and sharing, sharing those. And Sarah is going to talk to you a lot more about that. So thank you all for hand over to Sarah. Thank you and welcome here today. This is such a privilege to sit, look out and see these educators and 
those of you who um, are supporting them, so thanks for coming. Um, as uh, Linda mentioned, um, we, there's, there's been a history of work in Mount Druitt with early educators now going back to perhaps 2012, Chris? Yeah. yeah. So, this piece has had is a big piece of work um, and we've been fortunate in the last few years to build what I feel like is uh, a really lovely group of people who are leaning into each other and are sticking their neck out for children uh, in, in Mount Druitt and we don't want that to stop. So last year, after Collaboration for Learning in fact, um, we had the pleasure of meeting with the, Sarah Mitchell who's now the Minister um, of education and she also saw the value in the work and wants the community of practice to continue um, and she has funded that to happen in Mount Druitt which is um, fantastic but we do, this isn't our work this we genuinely want this to be what educators want and need so we've asked um, and they've taught us um, that these are the things they'd like to build professional relationships um, with other educators with suggest lovely suggestions such as create a network of positive uh, support and to build relationships with each other. Um, the second big theme when we asked the educators what they wanted was ease of professional reading and learning um, with suggestions of mentoring and supporting one another and having access to professional learning and reading. Uh, we will be building mentoring, continuing on into the structure of the network next year. And thirdly, um, educators told us they really want to build a bridge between their centres and the community, um, but we want the time and resources um, to do that well. Some of the suggestions being um, network with local schools, um, for the principals in the room, I know Garrett, we've got Dawson at the back there and apologies with, from Wilma Public School principal um, this morning too. And, and work with our neighbours, which is uh, lovely. So, um, in consultation with the educators, we've developed a framework for the network, bringing these things together, which you can see on the screen there. Um, and we will be partnering with Chris Woodrow from Western Sydney University Joe Everingham from Connect Child and Family Services um, and hopefully we begin to build on the Department of Education's networks which are happening here too um, and um, we would like to one thing that educators have told us is for it to work is they'd like us to communicate with you their managers um, that yeah, what, what's going on and, and involve you in it. So please consider that you're invited, your invitation is extended to you for that network. So you can be part of planning and having time with your team to have those, those um, conversations. Um, we'll be working hard to have the content NASA accredited. So if you're looking for accreditation for your early childhood teachers, it will be there. And as you can see there, we've got those links up there to the um, NQS quality standards. Um, educators have told us they'd like it to be local, so we'll be meeting at the Henry Parks Equity Centre twice a month, uh, once every two months, and on a Tuesday morning. Seems to work, so we're going to start there and see how we go. So watch this space, and that will be a, a great way to move into the year next year. What a great introduction to this project. Lisa also caught up with some of the educators after their graduation ceremony, and did interviews with two of the groups about their participant research. 
In the first one, she interviewed Jess and Chris from Wilmot Public School about their research, which was the impact of bringing early education's play-based learning into a kindergarten set. Hi, I'm here with Chris and Jess, who are from Wilmot Public School, and they were participants in the C4 learning program. Can you tell me a bit about your project and what you did? Because everyone in early childhood is really excited when schools are part of learn a bit from what we do with children. Well, what we thought we'd need to do was to try and link play-based learning to our syllabus outcomes. Now, the reason we decided to do that was that we looked at the outcomes that our students weren't achieving year after year. And we thought we used the spiral of inquiry, you know, what was our hunch, what skills were missing prior to school. We looked at our AEDC data and saw that we had very high vulnerabilities and also that only 50% of our students went to preschool. Wow, that's pretty high, isn't it? Were I you think shocked? around the state, it's 85%, so we only yeah. 50%. Were you shocked at that? I think we expected it, and that was our hunch yeah. to do this research and try and bridge that gap between preschool and school. So how did you do it? What did you do in the research primarily? We looked at um, changing the furniture in the classrooms. Um, Tell me about that. Yeah. What did your classroom look like? So at the beginning it was all tables and chairs. Every child had a seat, every child had a table. Um, and we thought, you know, let's get rid of half of these tables. You know, if the kids want to sit at the table, they can. But we also introduced some little stools. We introduced some lap tables for them to use. Uh, uh, cushions everywhere so that if they just wanted to sit on a cushion that they could. Um, and how and has that worked? They loved it. They responded really well to it. Um, I think they felt more comfortable yeah. and relaxed, like yep. in a preschool environment. Was it okay for you as a teacher? It was. Yep. It took a little bit of adjusting for maybe a week or so, but after that it was fine. It was fine. fine. Yeah. Okay, cool. And what else did you introduce? Well, we wanted to improve the self-regulation of the students. Because we, when we just had free play, a lot of rough and tumble. There's a lot of too many kids in one group. Some children isolates, you know, left out of groups. So the first thing we did is said, four students to a group and within a month they were counting one two three four oh, no I can't go to that group I have to go to that group that's amazing three. so yeah. they're actually self-monitoring self-regulating yeah that's right so and they were taking turns they were building collaboratively we saw big changes from the data video data we first collected and how were teachers interacting with that play-based learning what they were doing is using a strategy called sustained shared thinking where you elicit the dialogue from the child by asking questions and asking for more information. Also intentional teaching where you would give them a purpose for their play. Like today we're going to make something that rolls. That's, that's a must do apart from all the other play but you can do it however you like. So they still had to use their creativity to work out how they wanted to make something roll or make something that balances. And kids just love making towers. They'll do that anyway whether you ask them to make something balance or not. <laughs> and so what did you find out through the project? Was it, was it possible to bring in all the syllabus components to, you know? It was. Um, so originally we thought we could only 
bring in a couple of subjects, um, but we sat down and looked at every everything, and you could basically list all of the outcomes: English, maths, science, geography, PD, HP. So yeah, children could actually <laughs> learn through play. What a oh, radical idea! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Our school, yes. laughs> yeah, so not just a preschool. But what was also really good is that we do a lot of explicit teaching because a lot of children won't learn without that explicit instruction. But what they were given was the opportunity to generalise those skills through play. So rather than just do something that they've been asked to write about this or respond to a text, they could go into the writing corner and just practise writing because they wanted to write about their friends or their family. We didn't have to actually say, you it's have time to go for to writing the writing now. Yes, yes. And that, yeah. all those skills that they developed outside the play session they were using that oh they love playing schools with our sentence wall you yep. know which is quite amazing you know the first thing they gravitate to is they'd want to play schools and it was a bit scary sometimes you know <laughs> pretended to be the teacher yeah. <laughs> dramatic play <laughs> <laughs> the things they think you say and do yeah. body language children yeah. are often very good <laughs> imitators <laughs> aren't they? um okay um what about um, one of the things that you were working on was trying to get children to be less late to school yeah. because that was an issue within a school environment. How did that work? What, what you know, happened as a result? Well, what we did is we have a lot of late arrivals at our school and a lot of high absenteeism. So we asked the school um, administrator to have a look at the data over the months that we've introduce this project what we've targeted five students in each class so that was 10 just to get some data and we found and were they five children that were had a history of there were five, five children we also targeted to reassess at the end of the process which we will be doing next week to see if their literacy and numeracy had improved obviously it, you know we're explicitly teaching for the rest of the day but it's just sort of something we wanted to observe. So we use those same five students. Yep. And I think off the top of my head, I think there were 400 and something hours of lateness within the first number of weeks when we started the project. And it was reduced by about 200 hours. By That's the pretty amazing, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. You let children play and they both want to come to school. Well, they plus they nag their parents <laughs> to bring them there. Yeah. Yeah. But I'd love to do that again. Sorry, we've just got some school-based play happening. <laughs> well, maybe absent from school-based play happening in the background there. Um, okay. So I'd love to look into that more yeah. next year and get more data on that and maybe whole class data. And one of the things that I'd really like to know is for you two who are primary school teachers, although I understand, Jess, you've got um, infants and you've yeah. got not five as well yeah. as primary. Yeah. How was it participating in a project with early childhood educators? You know, was it was it... interesting because I thought, you know, they, I know they use play-based learning, but a lot of their projects were, were to do more outside play and bring more of their syllabus into outside play, yep. like numeracy, for instance. So it was good. It gave them a focus on preparing the kids for school. for school so it was more intentional teaching yeah. Yeah. that you saw but it's a two-way street what, like, what, what did you learn from them 
Um, we probably took on board some of their ideas. Yep. We visited the local preschool to see what they were doing. But it was a reciprocal relationship because every Thursday I'd go over to the preschool and I'd do some of the things that we do with kindergartens, like phonemic awareness to prepare them yep. for school, you know, through nursery rhymes and picture matching and that sort of thing. But I think our whole philosophy has changed. Instead of preparing the child for school, we're now preparing the school for the child. <laughs> I think that's a very good note for us to finish because it's something that the early childhood sector has been asking for a long time. Why do we have to do transition to school? Why can't the school be ready for the child? Thank you both for participating in the Early Education Show and best of luck with the program in the future. Thank you very much. Thanks to Jess and Chris. Lisa also spoke to Jasmine and Pam from Angels Preschool, an early education service in Mount Pruitt, about their research into play-based learning, literacy and numeracy with a group who mostly have English as a second language. Hi, I'm here with Pam and Jasmine who are from Angels Preschool at Mount Druitt, which is actually a, um, a, a long daycare centre. Um, uh, can you tell me, you've both been involved in this wonderful project in Mount Druitt, can you tell me a bit about your project? Yeah. Um, we come across one nice quote from Albert Einstein that says play, uh, play is the highest form of learning. That's all about, that is giving big intention for us and we, it opened eyes like okay we can make lots of play spaces around our area in our play, uh, play uh, indoor and outdoor that will make the children to play a lot through that their learning will progress. Learning is not with pen and paper and sitting around the teacher or around the table. That is not going to make much sense because it is like, uh, even though it is an age-old practice, but it won't come, it won't bring so much from the children. It won't be much interesting for the children as well. So once we decided, okay, when we renovate and we add up new play spaces, Children will play and they learn by themselves. Not only that, while they are pl- playing, we can observe them and we can contribute, we can join them as well to make the play extending and the learning more effective. And did you find that that worked? Yes, it did. <laughs> this also taught us how to do incorporate the families into the centre. Yep. Like family funds of knowledge. It worked out really good once we started this research because there are most of the parents who says like I don't have time to come in, into the program but after once we started to go talk to them one by one, one on one and now we can see there's more parents are getting involved they and come so into the what center. sorts of things did your parents do? Okay, they, this six months, past six months you can see they're involved in gardening they did yep. come and do gardening with the children and one grandparent, not one, more than one, yeah, two to three grandparents, whenever they have time, they come, read stories with our children, which makes the children to bring more books into the center, and then ask, like, uh, if any grandparents come to drop, they go, Aji, Aji, in Indian language is grandma, Aji, do you want to come and read this book? And those grandmas, she used to come inside to the book corner, just English is the second language, just she'll open the book and she'll talk about the picture. And you, you should see the children, how happy they are. They sit around her. And not only that, we have people coming over to learn to cook along with the children, different cultural foods. And uh, we have parents come and teach us some different craft works, art and craft. And you said that there was numeracy learning through the cooking happening. Yeah. Yeah? Yeah. 
That's true. Not only that, once the families started to come into our facility, the children are feeling like more belonging, more belonging. Even the parents are so open now. Before that, they say hi, bye, and what are the important thing they'll speak and they'll go now. They are, they were really opening up about what the child does at home and what the thing is happening inside the center. So they, we can see the more involvement, more openings. I can say. It's happening within the parent and within the child. That's brilliant. That's How right. many different cultures are there? Are the children within your it's service? Uh, dominating is Indian culture and yep. Iraqi. Beyond that, we have families from Polish. We have one Chinese family, and that half of that nearly is Iraqi. That is a, a Iraqi dominating area, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, only one from. Yeah, <laughs> and um, one of the things that really struck me, I listened to your presentation before, was you were talking about how little children were interacting with books yeah, um, initially, but now they are. So what happened? How did that happen? Yeah, because we started to bring in families to come and read it. Even though educators sit and read, that was a monotonous one, maybe a regular routine for them. Once we started to bring in few changes, just the same book, a same reading, everything be seen, but the person who is reading, that is different. That's all the difference we brought in, but that brought a huge change in the change. children's reading act, reading activities. So nowadays, even before that, when we asked them to go to book corner, that was a boring time for them. But now, if during our open free play time, we can see children occupying the book corner. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Not only that, they are now, nowadays they are bringing in their book. I have this book. And even we can see the literacy is meaningful in them. Oh, that's brilliant. What more could you want? So would you recommend other educators be involved in a yeah, program sure, like this? That's right. Sure, yeah. Why? What did you two get out of it? Oh, what we do is sooner we finish the day work, from here when we gather here for the workshop sooner we go on the same day or the next day whatever the main ideas we learned what the knowledge been imparted from from the project to us we'll explain explain with sit and explain with them and this way they also they didn't felt like they are away they are also part of a project yeah yeah even though we are leading they started to support us in all the ways that's brilliant and you what have you learned from the yeah program? a lot i learned a lot like you can say like um, more involvement from the parents and as the educators we learned a lot from them what we can say is like uh mind is open now for everything for literacy and numeracy as we say we go outside to play it's not only play time we can see what literacy is happening numeracy is happening so while we do the program we add up all those things before it's just box writing or outside or say walking on the balancing beam okay put the basketball court this and that now we say oh you bounced four times to go to the basketball court so something like that that's brilliant we started to incorporate numeracy and literacy in a different way this gave a new spectacle for us to see not only that it is like a lifestyle for us again before that like um it's not a burden for us it is becoming regular routine now Thank you very much, Jasmine and Pam, for being part of the Early Education Show and for you know, doing this really important practitioner research and sharing it with educators around Australia. Thank, Thank you. you. You're welcome.
You have been listening to The Early Education Show. Thanks to everyone from The Hive and C4L. You can find show notes and links for this episode and all our other episodes at earlyeducationshow.com. The show is hosted by Lisa Bryant, Leanne Gibbs and Liam McNicholas and produced by Liam McNicholas. The music is by Jazar at betterwithmusic.com. Please subscribe, rate and review the show in the Apple Podcast Store. It really helps others find the show. Get in touch with us at Early Edu Show on Facebook and Twitter or send us an email at earlyedushow at gmail.com. See you next time.